revelational any momentism and whether or not it has a solid biblical basis. There are other passages which generally will end up on a list of those who argue for the pre-tribulational enomomatism. One such verse is 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. John writes, And now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame when he comes back. Pre-tribulationalists reason that since the Lord's return is unknown, we must be ready at all times, and this they equate with enemomatism. This is an inference drawn from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. John simply states that believers should live uh, so that when Christ appears, we, not, we may not shrink away in shame. He makes no statement about the exact timing of the Lord's return, in fact, John is uncertain about the timing of the Lord's return. He does not give any information concerning the nature or the conditions or how a person will or what a person will be challenged with in the face of the Lord's return. He simply states the obvious that believers certainly will need to live in such a way that when the Lord appears, we'll have confidence and not be ashamed of the life that we have lived. There are, more con there are more situations or contexts that would make the requirement to live holy uh, a necessity than just any momentism. But because of the pre-tribulationalist argument, they take this verse and, of course, draw the inference from it. James chapter 5, verse 7 to 9 is also included on such a list. James writes, so be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Think of how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the ground and is patient for it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient and strengthen your hearts, for the Lord's coming is near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge stands before the gates. The key phrase in this passage says that the Lord's coming is near. Using the perfect tense form of the verb in Geiken, to come near or to approach. Now in Greek, the perfect tense speaks of an event accomplished in the past. This is particularly the case in the indicative mood with results existing afterwards. The perfect speaking of results existing in the present. Stative verbs like know or come or rise tend to emphasize the resultant state. James indicates that the Lord came near and remains in that state. We're not told what or when the Lord's present state will change. Now this is important. The coming near that James refers to is a coming near already accomplished in the mind of God. This has occurred before James wrote the letter and has direct implications even until this very day on how the reader of the book of James needs to live in light of this past accomplished fact. The Lord is not coming near the door 
He is already at the door. This is the very thought that James is attempting to get across again in verse 9. As before, the pre-tribbers insist that James' use of the phrase, the judge stands right before the gates, supports the any moment return of Christ, as suggested in the preceding verse. However, the verb stands is also in the perfect tense. The place of emphasis is not on what may happen in the future, but the emphasis is on the results of something that has already happened in the past. The Lord's present position is at the door. The implication is that he may enter through the door at any moment, once instructed. This is metaphorical language to emphasize that the Lord's return is the next event on God's calendar. However, we must understand that this in the context of God's overall program. Jesus is not literally standing at a door. He has a seat at the right hand of God. There he will remain until the Father indicates otherwise. The key to the Lord's return is the command to do so by God the Father. Interestingly, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus uses ingus and the concept of standing at the door. The easiest conclusion to draw is that James is using information taken directly from the Lord's teaching. Jesus states in Matthew chapter 24 verse 33, So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, Ingus, right at the door. However, here the Lord's approach is conditioned on signs detailed preceding Matthew chapter 24 verse 33. Let me show you another argument that reflects the good Bible study method of comparing Scripture with Scripture. If James chapter 5, verse 7 through 9 teaches any momentism, then the kingdom of God can begin at any moment as well. Jesus, in reference to the kingdom of God, uses the exact same Greek word. The Lord stated in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Close quote. James states, the coming of the Lord has drawn near. Because both passages use Greek words that are in the perfect tense, if the first speaks of any momentism, pre-tribulationally speaking, the other, likewise, is also. Equally, if one is not, neither is the other. The kingdom of God cannot occur at any moment until significant prophetic activities have taken place. Events that will initiate the physical earthly reign of God on earth. At the time, the Lord spoke Mark chapter 1 verse 15 he had yet to die on a cross. This event certainly must occur before the kingdom of God comes. Equally, Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 states, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Since the eschatological day of the Lord initiates the kingdom or reign of God on earth, the coming of Elijah must occur before the kingdom of God comes. 
Equally, the kingdom or reign of God will be filled with kingdom constituents. Most of us who were yet to be born at the time the Lord spoke, Mark 1.15, and for the sake of argument, let's say that one million constituent comprised the bride of Christ. Their physical birth stretch out over 2,500 years. Logically, one can only talk about an any-moment return nearing the end of the 2,500 years which is necessary for the kingdom constituents to be born and thus trust Christ as their Savior. Logically, one can only talk about an any-moment return nearing the end of the 2,500 years. How can one speak of an event as imminent 2,500 years before its termination? These are significant issues which seriously undermine pre-tribulational theory of any momentism. There is clearly events which must happen before the day of the Lord, before God sets up his kingdom on this earth. And therefore, those events cannot be in any sense uh, spoken of as being uh, any moment. It simply does not accord with the common sense of the text. Revelation 3.10 says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take away your crown. The Greek word translated soon is taku. Although often thought of as a Greek adjective, it occurs most often as an adverb especially in the book of Revelation. It occurs five times in Revelation to describe the coming of the Lord. Revelation chapter 2, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 11, chapter 22, verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. In all five of these verses, taku modifies the verb come. When an adverb modifies a verb, it can answer the question where, when, how, why, and under what circumstances the action of the verb occurs, the context determining which answer is in view. Concerning the time coming of Christ, the debate uh, centers around the question of whether the use of taku here is in reference to when or how? Pre-tribulational anemometism demands that Christ, in his revelation to John, is answering the question of when rather than how. However, such a conclusion has two problems, one logical and the other biblical. The logical problem is an historical one. It's been 1900 years since the Lord uttered these words. In what sense can Jesus have meant his coming to be, to be, given 1900 years have transpired? How or when? Now, having history on our side, the choice is obvious. To interpret taku to mean when exposes error. The reason? We realize that it's been over 1900 years since Christ instructed John to use that word. 
There simply is no logical way to make the Lord's return a quick event with 1,900 years between his leaving and his return. That is illogical. However, to have this adverb refer to how emphasizes that Christ will come quickly. This idea removes the temporal factor. Christ's return is still a future event, even though it has been almost 2,000 years. Whatever, whenever the Lord comes, it will happen quickly and decisively. The biblical problem making this particular adverb refer to an any-moment return of Christ is the fact that Jesus, by his own admission, did not know the day or hour of his return. As Christ is the author of the book of Revelation, it seems contradictory to believe he was referring to when he would come rather than how he would come. Now we grant that once the Lord rose from the dead, he may have acquired this critical piece of information. However, this is an argument from silence. Now here is another good illustration of the preciseness of the Greek language. The verb know as used by Christ when he explained to his disciples of that day and hour no one knows in Matthew chapter 24 verse 36 is in the perfect tense. Remember what you heard earlier about the perfect tense. It emphasizes a past action with existing results. When Christ was saying, what Christ was saying is that the only person who knew in the past when Christ would return is God the Father. At what point in the future this will change, we do not know. Unlike Ingus, which tells us where the Lord is, Taku tells us how the Lord will come, bringing harmony to both passages when Scripture is compared with Scripture. In other words, this passage is not a passage that supports pre-tribulational enemomatism. To do so enters error and contradiction into the biblical text, which of course we reject. Another passage that is sometimes quoted in support of pre-tribulational enemomatism is Mark chapter 13, verses 35 to 37. It says, Stay alert then, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come, whether during evening at midnight when the rooster crows or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. What I say to you, I say to all, stay alert. Some pre-tribbers are fond to quote this passage in relation to the rapture. However, they fail to sense the two-edged sword that this text is. First of all, this particular passage is part of the Olivet Discourse that pre-tribulationists insist refers to Israel and not the church at the Battle of Armageddon. How can the pre-tribulationists have it both ways? Do you sense a contradiction? One should not quote a passage that he maintained deals with the battle of Armageddon to prove at any moment return of Christ for the rapture. Since pre-tribulationists insist that this passage refers to Armageddon, it cannot refer to the rapture. However, this passage cannot refer to Armageddon. 
but must refer to the rapture of the church. Two reasons support this conclusion. First, the passage is a warning to believers to be faithful. Notice Mark chapter 13, verse 33 and 34 states, It is like a man going on a journey. He left his house, put his slaves in charge, assigned to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to stay alert. Stay alert then, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come, whether during evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or at dawn. It is the Lord's people who must remain alert, and not be found sleeping when the Lord returns. Such a warning makes no sense if referring to Armageddon, since it is the wicked that will be judged at Armageddon. Therefore, the need to be found faithful by the Lord at the rapture is urgent. Secondly, the doorkeeper is commanded to stay alert and not be found sleeping when the master returns. This illustration loses all meaning unless the master is gone long enough for the slave to sleep. Christ's return will involve a delay, thus the opportunity for God's people to sleep. Sleep is not used in a literal sense, but figuratively for faithfulness. The Lord Jesus did not indicate how long of a delay there would be between his departure and his return. However, he does indicate a delay. In the parable of the weeds in Matthew 13, 24-30, a delay is implied by the harvest metaphor. By definition, a harvest can only come after the growing season. The parable of the leaven in Matthew 13.34 implies a delay. Leaven requires time to permeate the whole loaf. The parable of the ten virgins explicitly indicates a delay of the bridegroom's coming. This parable makes no sense if a delay is not indicated. The parable of the talents makes a delay certain. The Lord would not expect his servants to multiply his money unless they were given sufficient time to do so. Therefore, the Lord is not saying that the rapture will occur at any moment, but rather the rapture is certain. The urgency to be ready is in light of the certainty of the coming of the Lord after a delay. This is clearly an argument against pre-tribulational anemometism and it supports the idea that people will need to have concern in light of the fact that the Lord's return will not be as fast as perhaps some have thought. Romans chapter 13 verse 11 makes its way on some lists for imminency. And do this because we know the time that it's already the hour for us to wake from sleep. For our salvation is now nearer than when we became believers. Our salvation is now nearer. Again, the emphasis is not any momentism, but certainty. Paul instructs the Romans that the night is almost gone and the day is near. Romans chapter 13, verse 12. And as the case with James chapter 5, verse 7 through 9, it is Paul's use again of the perfect tense in connection with the verb in Gaikin, which means he is referring to a past event that has already occurred with present day implications. 
As explained earlier, the perfect tense is not predicting something soon to happen, but on the contrary, something that has already taken place. Using the Greek verb in the perfect tense, Paul could not have been emphasizing any momentism. Something that the pre-tribulationist say, says is still a future event that couldn't occur at any moment. But what has already happened that makes the future certain? The day has drawn near. It is not in the process of drawing near. The process is completed. That day is a completed fact in the mind of God. Therefore, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The certainty of the transition from one age to another is the emphasis that Paul is making in Romans 13, verse 11 and 12. This is evidenced by the three facts which Paul uses. It is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us than when we believed, and the night is almost gone and the day is near. The time to awaken is now. Philippians chapter 4 verse 5, let your gentleness be seen by all, by all the Lord is near. Now this is a very, very important verse. It makes its way onto lists of those who argue that the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, is here arguing for any momentism. Pre-tribbers insist that this passage supports their argument that the rapture can happen at any moment. They, as do many others, see the statement, the Lord is near, as an abbreviated way of saying the Lord's coming is near. The word near is the English translation of the Greek adjective ingus, E-G-G-U-S. Chapel explains that an obvious justification for this interpretation is the fact that ingus, near, and its cognate verb in geisen, to approach or come near, are an important part of the eschatological vocabulary of the New Testament. In addition, an eschatological interpretation of the words fits the immediate context. It is not difficult to see how Paul would have regarded the imminence of the Lord's return as an incentive for rejoicing, for gentleness or forbearance, and for confidence preserving prayer. Close quote. Now, Alan Chappell, in his article, The Lord is Near, uh, in the Fullness of Time, a book published um, in 1992, uh, argument seems to betray the very fact that he is trying to establish. There is no textual basis upon which to draw the conclusion that Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6, is arguing for any momentism. Furthermore, the pre-trib notion introduces the possibility of contradiction in Scripture. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 14 states, Near, and it uses the word ingus, is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord, close quote. 
Thus, using a similar Greek construction, it stands to reason that if the phrase the Lord is near means the rapture can happen at any moment in in Philippians 4, 5, then likewise near is the great day of the Lord means the day of God's wrath can happen at any moment in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14. In fact, one of the well-known modern articulators of pre-tribulationalism, Dr. John F. Walbert, former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, in his book, The Church in Prophecy, writes, quote, that the coming of the day of the Lord is imminent, close quote. Now, this is very, very important. Walbert, seeing the language and sensing its similarity to the New Testament phrase used by Paul, argues that the coming of the day of the Lord is imminent. We are confronted with the contradiction. By their own words, the pre-tribulational definition of any momentism demands that no prophecy must be fulfilled for an event to occur at any moment. However, scripture clearly indicates that certain very specific events must occur before the day of the Lord comes. Joel chapter 2 verse 31 states, quote, The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Close quote. Malachi chapter 4, chapter 4 verse 5 states, quote, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Close quote. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3 states, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Close quote. Here are three events that are predicted to occur before the eschatological day of the Lord comes. If pre-tribulational any momentism is correct, then the Bible is in error. God forbid. Dr. Walbert was clearly incorrect in saying that the coming of the day of the Lord is imminent. That some portion of the ministry of Elijah must take place before the day of the Lord begins is incontrovertible. Therefore, the eschatological day of the Lord cannot occur at any moment. What then does Paul mean by the sentence, the Lord is near? A number of commentators have opted for a non-eschatological interpretation of this critical text. As Alan Chappell notes, John Calvin, H.C.G. Moe, and G.B. Card argues that Paul quotes from the Psalms in this particular verse. None can assert dogmatically Paul's source, but that a non-eschatological reference is probably Right has has a greater probability. Alan Chappell's conclusion concerning his study of this matter is convincing, and we quote it here in full. Although ho curios ingus is normally understood as an eschatological statement, Calvin, Moore, and Card appeared appealed to the Psalms to argue that Paul was referring to the Lord's presence rather than parousia. Our study has confirmed their interpretation by showing that the connection between our text and the tree 
Palm Psalm texts in question are much deeper than a mere similarity of wording. What Yahweh is near meant to the psalmist is also what Paul meant by the Lord is near. The Lord is ready to hear and protect his suffering people when they call upon him. Our comparison of Philippians 4.5 and Psalm 34.18 and 119.151 and Psalm 145 verse 18 in their respective context has therefore shown that the Lord is near should be seen as an intentional allusion to one or all three of these psalm texts. Paul is using the language not of Christian eschatology, but of biblical piety. Close quote. Given these facts, we argue that this verse does not support pre-tribulational enomomatism at all. In fact, this very passage is an encouragement to the believers that God will always be near them for help in a time of great difficulty. But it says absolutely nothing about whether the Lord's return will happen at any moment or not. One last text that some argue support pre-tribulational enomomatism is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. It says, Let anyone who has no love for the Lord be accursed. Our Lord, come. Maranatha, our Lord, come, is an Aramaic formula which, according to the Didache in chapter 10, verse 6, was used in the early Christian liturgy of the Lord's Supper. Joseph A. Fitzmaier states, The best explanation of Maranatha remains that of an ancient acclamation. It is an acclamation referring to Jesus' parasaic coming, understood at least as eschatological and regal, close quote. Therefore, it is an exegetical curiosity that pre-tribulations would insist that Paul's use of this acclamation argues for any momentism. It is clear in the context of 1 Corinthians 16 that Paul is not setting forth a detailed doctrine of the second coming of Christ, but is using an expression that denotes his coming, nothing more to the man that Paul must set forth a detailed understanding of Christ's return every time he mentions any aspect of that coming is a conclusion without any merit whatsoever. When we look back at Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, uh, I think it will help us in dealing a final blow to this whole idea of pre-tribulational enomomatism. If for the sake of argument, Matthew chapter 24 verse 44 does not, uh, does refer to the Lord's return at Armageddon, it cannot in any sense refer to a notion of any momentism. Jesus clearly and unmistakably sets forth signs that will precede his return at Armageddon, which renders an any moment return at Armageddon impossible. It is our belief that Armageddon cannot occur before the completion of Daniel's 70th week. Therefore, we can conclude that if Jesus' Jesus's language in Matthew 24:44 seems to infer an any-moment kind of return, when we know that signs must precede his return at Armageddon, 
then the language of Matthew 24:44 is in no way emphasizes any morbidness. Jesus is in fact emphasizing the unexpectedness of his return. This fact alone makes it extremely difficult to see Matthew 24:44 referring to the Lord's descent at Armageddon or the pre-tribulational rapture position. Now, common sense would seem to dictate that once Antichrist takes his seat in the temple and begins his systematic attempt to control the entire world, that the longer Jesus delays his return at Armageddon, the more expected his return will become. Therefore, this text does not refer to the Lord's coming at Armageddon. Equally, if the Lord can return at any moment, then why would Jesus indicate that believers would see his arrival as unexpected? If the Lord is teaching an any-moment return, then by definition his return will always be unexpected. Therefore, what, whatever, Jesus, uh, what, whatever else Jesus intended in Matthew 24:44, any-momentness is not included. For the record, Matthew 24:44 does refer to the Lord's return to evacuate the elect off the earth, the rapture, which occurs in connection or in association with the imminent outbreak of God's eschatological day of the Lord. The timing of the rapture in conjunction with the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week will be much unexpected even for the veteran eschatologist. Both believers and unbelievers are going to be very shocked at the timing of this event. The Apostle Paul indicates that unbelievers will be preaching peace and safety at the very moment the Lord's descent becomes evident. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 3. The reason unbelievers will be so upbeat at at this time is because of the seeming success of Antichrist in putting down all opposition to his rule and authority. His success will be short-lived. At this point, most followers of Jesus Christ will either be in hiding, those in Jerusalem who flee to the mountain, in prison, those awaiting death, in the grave, those martyred, in compromise, those attempting to live by denying their faith, or in faith, those who by faith are resisting the devil in complete, total, and unambiguous victory. The reason unbelievers will be preaching safety and peace is because Antichrist has been given three and a half years to persecute the followers of Christ and attempt to remove God's influence on the world. His apparent success will inspire unbelievers they will begin to believe that Satan and his Antichrist agenda for the world has achieved success. Just when they think all is well, sudden destruction will come upon them. The reason the Lord's coming to evacuate the elect happens at an hour you believers do not expect is hinted at by the verb dokeo. This verb refers to subjective opinion, a mere appearance. From a purely human perspective, the timing of the Lord's return will be shocking. 
The obvious question is why? What events or circumstances will so influence the thinking of believers that Christ's return will appear unthinkable, humanly speaking? What will make the timing of the Lord's return so unusual is the fact uh, is the fact that there will be no time. Time as we understand time will stop. The Lord Jesus indicated in Matthew 24:29 that immediately after the great tribulation of those days, having been cut short by the grace and mercy of God, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Such cosmic events effectively render the earth devoid of all light sources. In other words, the earth will suddenly lose its light source, the sun. The fact that Christ will return during the total absence of light in the whole universe means this event will stand outside of time as we know it and understand it and appreciate it. If the emphasis of the Lord's prophecies concerning his return is unexpectedness, then what is the basis of the pre-tribulational misunderstanding concerning biblical imminence? Thirteen passages which, may, which many have used to argue for any momentism do not explicitly support the pre-tribulational doctrine at all. Implication is purely in the eye of the beholder. At best, pre-tribulational enemomatism is an inference. At its worst, it is an unknowing ruse used to deceive people that personal faithfulness will not be put to the test in the day just prior to our Lord's revelation from heaven. The fact that there is a lack of an explicit scriptural basis for the pre-tribulational theory of any momentism should give one great pause. However, a contradiction would deal a death blow to, pre to the pre-tribulational concept of any momentism. We shall look at a staggering contradiction the next time.